I am so glad to see all of you here today, and I'm so glad to be here. I don't know what your week's been like, but <laughs> I've been sick, and uh, it was not fun, but um, feeling better, and I've, Brenton said I smell like cough drops, so if you smell that, that's, that's what that is, but um, it's, it's great to have you here. I'm really excited to see you guys. It's a really important thing that you are here. Um, if you don't know, my name is Angela. I'm the director of ministry here and senior campus minister. I have been here for over 30 years. Um, I love it. I found my dream job and I stayed. They just can't get rid of me, you know. I am also a mother to two teenagers, which is joyous and challenging in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm wife to an amazing introvert and um, I'm a lot of other things too. Uh, Christian is my primary designation, Donnie. Um, but uh, one of the things I am is an athlete, and I love sports. Who here likes sports? All right. Where are my, where are my women athletes? We got some women. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Y'all, I love sports. I did every sport that was available to a girl to do in high school. All right. I did um, fast pitch and slow pitch softball. I did volleyball. I played basketball. I played tennis did track and cross country. When I was in college, I got to keep playing basketball, and I also added on field hockey, which was really kind of fun. And then after college and grad school, when I got here, I picked up indoor soccer, which was really fun, and flag football. And I just, I love sports. I do all sorts of other stuff too, sporty stuff like rock climbing and snow skiing and water skiing and all that. But my favorite thing is team sports because one of the other things about me is that I'm an extrovert. So I'm a competitive, athletic extrovert. Team sports are my jam. I mean, I love them. I just, it, it just fills me up. The competition, being with people, doing stuff like that, it's, it's, it's great. And I love all the sports. I'd never played football or really even been interested in football until we started playing flag football here when I was actually at CCF. And when we first started playing, we were terrible. I mean, at one, the first game, the ref had to stop and teach us all how to hike. We had no idea. I know that's funny. Um, but we got good. All right, it, it's, a, it's a great sport, and we ended up winning the intramural championship. I got to play in Sanford Stadium. We, had, we did great in the co-rec, and, and it was it was just became one of my favorite sports. Basketball is probably my favorite, but flag football is a, is a very close second. The athleticism that's required, the, the strategy, the teamwork in order to win is incredible. But really, you get those in most team sports, right? But there's one thing about flag football that set it apart for me that I absolutely loved. It wasn't really in any of the other sports. Can you guess what that part might be? Anybody? No, there's no tackling in flag football. No, it's... I did like throwing. I was the quarterback. That was good. No, it's the huddles. Huddles are amazing. Okay, in all the sports I've played, never has there been a time when after every play, you get to gather together with your friends, and you get to talk. And as an extrovert, it's just the best thing ever. And so we would talk sometimes about the next play, sometimes about other things, you know. We would, we would be able to, to plan out things. If something had gone wrong, we could encourage each other. We reminded each other that we were on the same team and what our game plan was. Sometimes we got plays that came in. Sometimes we'd get pumped up. Sometimes we'd just talk about random things. It was just great. I, I loved 
huddles. I cannot oversell huddles, okay? They're just, there's no other sport that you do that, that you meet that regularly. And it got to be something I just really enjoyed. We would get together, and I was the quarterback, and I'm short. I admit that, even though I like to see myself as tall. Um, and a lot of times, I couldn't see what was going on. And when we get in a huddle, somebody would say, you know, if you just did this, it would be great. And so and then we'd, we'd gather together, we'd talk about it, and then we'd go out, and we'd, we'd do that play, and it would work. Oh, and it was so wonderful. It's just a great thing. Huddles help you throughout the game. You gather, you talk strategy, you encourage, you're there for each other, you have a short rest, and then you go and you play the game. And it's really exciting, and then you do it again. Now, for those of you who don't like sports or who are already tuning out because I'm talking about sports, you're probably like, why are we talking about sports? <laughs> and what is the deal with all of this? What does this possibly have to do with Christianity? Well, here's the thing. When I was preparing for this lesson, I could not get over the, the parallels between the ideas and the good things about a huddle with our Christian walk, all right? And I know that sounds crazy, but you got to bear with me because there are so many cool things we can learn. Now, there may not be huddles in the Bible, but that idea of gather, go, repeat is found constantly through the disciples' lives. And I think it's a pattern that when we follow as Christians, we will be able to thrive in both the good times and the bad. I think it's something that is worth noticing. And even though I know it may sound a little far-fetched, stick with me. I think you will, you will be able to follow along and no more sports talk tonight. So for those of you who are freaking out, it's good. It's all over. For those of you who like to talk sports, we can talk later. Um, but before we go any further, pray with me if you would. Father, I, I thank you that we are all here tonight. And I thank you that you are here tonight in this place. And God, you know, I was not sure if I would be able to be here, so I thank you for that. And I pray that my voice holds out. I pray that we can just have a great time tonight looking at your word and studying it and seeing what you have for us. We can learn principles and ideas that can help us thrive in our lives as Christians and just as people in general. So thank you for each person here, God. Help us to, to hear what you have to say and help me to be able to speak what you want me to say. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, this year we have been talking about um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Our, it's been story time is our theme, and it, um, we're looking at the stories in the Bible to talk about the story of the Bible, and that is that all of it points to Jesus. That's what our theme verse back there says. Jesus says, all scriptures point to me. It's all about him. And while this is clearly a book marketed to kids, we have realized and said every week that there's a lot of truths in here that we can get as adults. A lot of good, powerful things. In fact, I don't know about you, but if you've grown up in church or maybe you've read the same stories a lot, sometimes you hear these familiar stories and they just kind of become background noise. You know, you just, you're so used to hearing them. It's just, it's just something else. But a lot of times when you take the time to read a different version or even a, a kid's version of the Bible, different things stick out to you. They jump out, and, and that's, good. that's a good way to get some truths. And so that's what happened as I was preparing for this talk. All right, I was reading through the, what I like to call the Jesus Storybook Bible or the JSB, um, and I was, I was thinking about what I, what I was going to talk about. And typically, just so you know, a little insider info when I'm preparing for a talk, 
I read a story that I think I'm going to talk about, and I'm praying about it a lot, and then I read the stories after it and the stories before it, because context, 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 it really helps. And so I did that in this, and obviously last week, if you were here, you got to hear Donnie did a great discussion, and you guys were a lot of part of it about the crucifixion, because that was, you know, Monday, Thursday, which is the day right before the, the crucifixion on Good Friday, and we learned a lot of great truths that the reason it had to happen, God had planned it from the start in order to, to forgive us for sins and, and all of that. And it was all leading up to the resurrection, which happened on Easter. So the next story is the resurrection story. And I figured a lot of us probably heard that at church. But there's a second resurrection story right after that. It's the one, it's one of my favorites. It's right when, when Jesus first appears to the disciples and they don't know he's alive and they're hiding and locked in this place and he just walks through a wall it's just fantastic and so um I was thinking okay that's the story I'm going to do for sure and as I started reading it I decided to read the story after it and when I read the story after it I thought hmm that's interesting there's something just kind of popped out to me there and then well I'm just going to let you hear what I what I saw and see if you can figure out what popped out to me because I think it's I think it's really cool all right so we're going to start with the story that I was going to read and we're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to read part of it. It's called in the Jesus Storybook Bible, Going Home. And it says this. Jesus' friends were afraid, so they were hiding in an upstairs room with the door bolted shut. But that didn't stop Jesus. He walked straight through the wall. It's a ghost, Thomas screamed and hid under the table. But it wasn't a ghost. I'm hungry, Jesus said. What's for lunch? Peter gave him a fish. They all hung back and watched him eat it. This can't be happening, they were telling themselves. It's impossible. It's not happening. But it was right in front of them. All right, so that's the start of that. Now, the next story after that is the story about Pentecost. And if you're not sure what that was, that's when Jesus promised he was going to send his Holy Spirit, and he does, into the disciples. And it's really powerful. And so I flipped over to that, and I read the first page of that. Now, I want you to read this with me. This is called God Sends Help. You got the little pictures up there. It said, Jesus' friends and helpers huddled together in a stuffy upstairs room. Even though it was sunny outside, the shutters were closed, the doors were locked. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus had told them. I'm going to send you a special present. God's power is going to come into you. God's Holy Spirit is coming. So there they were waiting. Actually, mostly what they were doing was just being scared and hiding. You can't blame them. Their best friend had left. The important people and leaders were after them. And Jesus had given them a job they didn't know how to do. As they waited, they were praying and remembering. Remembering how from the beginning, God had been working out his secret rescue plan. Interesting. So did you happen to notice how and where these stories both began? In an upstairs room. This is them combined together, right? In an upstairs room. Good job. Y'all are so smart. Um, both stories, they're, they're gathered in, according to the Jesus Storybook Bible, kind of scared, hiding in an upstairs room. And if we kept reading, we would see when Jesus enters the picture and when he enters the room, everything changes and it gets powerful things happen. They're great stories and you should read them. But we're not going to read them right now because if you don't know me, I live on a stream of consciousness type of brainwave here. That's how I live my life. That's how things go. So when I read both of those stories and it said they were in a room at the first page, the first thought I have is there's another room that happened recently. Do you know which room I'm talking about there? And what happened? It's right before Jesus died. What was the last thing they did? The Last Supper, right, in the upper room. There it is. That's our only 
picture of that room. Just kidding, that's a painting. It's by Da Vinci. It's 1,400 years after Jesus, so it's probably not historically accurate, but it's, it's okay. Um, yeah, the upper room. Okay, most of us have heard of the upper room where the disciples gathered with Jesus. And so I'm going to flip back to that real quick, and we're going to read how that started. And this one they entitle The Servant King. And they say it was Passover, the time when God's people remembered how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. Every year they killed a lamb and ate it. The lamb died instead of us, they would say. But this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. Jesus and his friends were having the Passover meal together in an upstairs room. Jesus' followers are gathered together in a room. It's the room where it happened. The room. No. Um, now, it's probably not exactly the same room, although in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it does mention that they're all the upper room. Not all the, the other versions of the Bible say that, but there's clearly a pattern that I think we can see here, right? As I was reading the, the old JSB and started going down that rabbit hole, I thought, man, there is a, definitely a pattern here that stands out. And it's a clear pattern of Jesus' disciples gathering, going, and repeating. Gather, go, repeat. When things are good, when they're celebrating, they gather. They eat together. They encourage one another. They pray together. They learn from Jesus. When things are bad, when they're scared, when they failed, when they're grieving, they gather together and they encourage each other. And Jesus comes into the midst and changes things. And when they don't know what to do, when they're not sure what's next, they gather together and they wait for what Jesus has to tell them. And then they go and do their mission. Gather, go, repeat. And I think that that is a pattern for all of us because I don't know about you, but all three of those scenarios happen in my life. And all three of those scenarios, a lot of times I want to know what to do. When things are good, when things are bad, when I've messed up, or when I don't know what to do. I think if we follow this pattern, we're going to be a lot better off. So what we're going to do is kind of briefly talk about these stories. We're not going to read them all. You should read them. They're very good. We have a Bible. out of This, this is the Bible that's from our resource shelf out there, which are books you guys can check out at any point if you want to read some of these things. So a little shameless plug there. But um, in the first story, chronologically speaking, we're talking about the account of the Last Supper. Now, if you don't know, this is the week that Jesus had this big triumphal entry into Jerusalem. All right? He comes in on a donkey, which is interesting, and everybody's going crazy. They're, they're praising and yelling and they're waving palm branches, which I think were probably their equivalent of those red shakers they give us at Georgia Games, you know, but they're... They were more environmentally sound and biodegradable and all that. So he's coming into the city, and it's, and it's a big deal. And his disciples are with him. And they've been with him this whole time. And all of a sudden, people are going, here comes the king. You know, Hosanna, which means save us. And you've heard of Palm Sunday. That's what we celebrate there. This is real exciting. And for those who knew the scriptures, they would have been very aware that 500 years before this, the prophet Zechariah said this. In Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, it had to be amazing to be these disciples. Like, it's finally happening. We've been following Jesus. We believed he's the Messiah. He's going to become the king. He's going to, you know, overthrow the Romans, set up his kingdom, and here it is, and we're with him. 
And so they go in, and, and it's a big week. And then they have the Passover feast, which is a huge feast for the Jewish people. And they're in there, and I think they're probably riding pretty high. You know, they're excited, and they spend time eating together, and they spend time with Jesus, and Jesus is teaching them. He's telling them, what I want you to do is love and serve each other. He's praying for them. It's an incredible time. Now, he's telling them that, look, things are not going to go exactly like you think. I'm going to die, but they're kind of like everybody. They're like, that can't happen. You know, we'll defend you. That's not going to happen. You're going to set up your kingdom. This is it. But then what happens? Jesus Jesus goes out. He said they have this great time together, and he's like, y'all, it's time to go. And they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they put into place the plan of, of the crucifixion that we talked about and the resurrection that would save mankind. They gathered, and then they went out because of the people. They needed to show people Jesus needed to fulfill his mission, his ministry. It starts with a gathering. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are supposed to gather and encourage each other and spur each other on. And that's part of what we're doing here, but it's more than just... A, a service on Sunday morning or just a dinner and a message here. I believe, you think about those words, spur each other on and encourage. We're talking about things that happen in community, things that happen when we know each other and we know what's going on. And that's what I think this is talking about. I think it's talking about we need to not give up gathering together in a Christ-centered community, that that is a big part of how we live this life, one that cares for people, one that looks after each other and knows each other, it does more than just eating together, although that's fantastic. It does more than just worshiping together, although that's great. But we are to gather together as the body of Christ. I know when I was just in Athens, I was a grad student. I didn't know anybody, and I was looking for Christian community because it didn't trust me. I'm terrible. I knew I would just, like, this new faith I had would just go off the rails if I didn't get involved in a, in a Christian community. And so I looked around, and, and I found CCF. And I went here, and I liked it. I like, you know, it was kind of small. I liked the people. I liked the teaching. Um, I thought it was, I thought, okay, that's good. But then the next week, you know, I'm in grad school. I was busy, and I, I, I just forgot to go. I didn't even think about it. And I'll never forget, because Monica Heining, who was one of the residents who lived here, called me the next day and said, hey, we missed you, and I hope you'll come back. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they missed me. <laughs> they, they recognized I wasn't there. And you had to call it those days because we had no texting, and we had no emails, right, and we had no Facebook. Um, but I was touched that they, that they noticed and that they, they took the time. And I thought, well, yeah, I meant to come back. I just completely forgot. And so I went back, and I never left. And it's been 33 years now. Um, some of you have probably gotten messages like that of people checking on you. And it's not because we're like, where were you? It's, be, it's because we want you to know that this is a community where you're wanted. Well, we want you to know that when you're not here, we, we notice and we, and we care. And we want you to know that this is a place that, if you want, can become a community that can support and encourage you. And that's what CCF did for me. I just started coming all the time. I started getting involved in leadership. I started going to service projects. And I, I went on mission trips. And, man, I just started growing. I went to Bible studies. And not only did I find myself growing in my faith, I found myself getting a close 
group of friends, friends that would encourage me when I was kind of going off the rails. And they would bring me back and loved me and, and, you know, helped me in the things that I wanted to do, picked me up when I was down. They became my community, and I had never had a strong Christian community. And it was incredible. I found it so fulfilling. And it was great. And I think that's what God wants for us. I don't think Christianity is meant to be lived alone or in isolation. Being a Christian, we become a part of the family of God. It's like a team sport or a team activity. It's meant to be lived with others. If you think about it, God is community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is part of what we're supposed to, supposed to do. So we're supposed to gather together, not just to, to come into a place and leave, but to actually start to live life together and get to know each other. But then we don't stay here, as good as it is, and I hope it's good, and I hope we love being together. We still have to go. We have to go and share with others. We don't want to become so insular that we're only this small little group because that's not what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I've heard that a better translation for that word go is the word as you go. So, yeah, you can go. You could talk to Noah and go anywhere around the world and serve God. And that's fantastic. If that's on your heart, that's on your radar, do it. I went to Thailand, changed my life. That's why I'm in ministry, okay? It's, it's amazing when you follow God. But what that's saying is as you go, as you go to class, as you go to work, as you go to the gym, as you go, talk to people. Show them the love of God by how you treat them, how you serve them, how you notice them, how you see them and invite them. They need fellowship too. They need to gather. We are supposed to be lights in this world. And if we can't just hide our lights in here, we have to go out into the world. But then when we do, we bring people back with us because we gather, we go, and then we repeat. We do the same thing, hopefully with more people. So we gather when the times are good. We gather to eat and to celebrate and to worship and to learn and to grow and to sit at Jesus' feet and to encourage each other and spur each other on. But if we look in the second story, we realize that we also gather when things are tough. Okay, so not too long after the Last Supper and after the resurrection, the disciples still don't know that that Jesus is, is risen, right? Okay, some of the women did because they went to the tomb. But they're hiding. They're hiding in a room because they're scared. They're scared that they're going to be maybe arrested and crucified like Jesus. They've, they've pretty much all abandoned Jesus in his moment of need. Peter, the leader, denied Jesus three times. It's not good for them. Plus, their master, their friend is dead. In a brutally horrible way. Y'all, they are grieving. They are sad. They feel like they failed. But when we read this story, we see that they're together. They're in a room together. And I just think that's impressive because they could have gone somewhere else. They could have gone and hid in their own homes or, or run back somewhere else. But they didn't. They did what Jesus told them to do. They gathered together. In fact, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it says they huddled together. I'm just saying. Um, all seemed lost, but they got together. Jesus enters the room through a wall, and everything changes. And when Jesus is in that midst, when he's in that group, in that gathering, he restores them, 
He forgives them. He encourages them. He's like, look, you thought I was dead, but I'm alive. This is real. My kingdom is much bigger than you thought it was going to be. And they are changed. These disciples go from people hiding to people who are willing to go and give their lives for Jesus. And that's what they do. Jesus meets them in this room. And then he's like, but we got to go. And they go. And they go out from that room and they start talking to people. And it says, Acts, the book of Acts says that Jesus was there for 40 days and they were with him, showing that he was alive to all the people around there. And the disciples are there. When we fail, when we go through difficult times, when we grieve, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of my instinct is to hide. It's to get in my room, in my bed, and just not talk to anybody. It's, it's a very normal thing. It's, it's hard sometimes to think about coming here when we're not at our best and being around others. But that's not what we're supposed to do. The pattern, the healthiest pattern we can do is to gather, to be with fellow believers who can encourage us, who can point us to Jesus, to be reminded that God is the healer. And a lot of times he uses people to be his hands and his feet and his voice to give you hugs, to remind you that you're forgiven. We gather in a community, and that's what we're supposed to do. A number of years ago, we had a student here named Sean. And Sean transferred to UGA. He had been to a variety of, of different schools. And, and one of his high school teachers had actually been here at CCF, and I know her well. And she said, Sean, you got to go to CCF. And he's like, all right. He didn't know anybody here. So he came to CCF. And he loved it. He just jumped in. Every once in a while we have those people. Some of you are those people. And you just jump right in. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be at everything. And Sean was at everything. And, and he joined leadership. And he started going to Bible studies. And he was at all the socials. And he was doing everything. He became a part of our group. And he began to really grow in his faith. And he was at CCF when tragedy struck. He got a call from his parents that his brother had been in a motorcycle accident. And Travis, who was one of our interns at the time, drove him two hours home. And sadly, his brother didn't make it. And his community, CCF, mobilized. We started praying. We started texting and sending him messages. We sent him cards. Y'all, about 45 people from CCF drove over two hours to be there with Sean at the funeral of his brother, who we had never met. Because that's what a community does when you're in grief. That's what a Christ-like community does. It supports each other. We become the hands and feet of God. And when Sean got back, we were here for him. And it was, a hard, it was a hard road. He was one of our own, and he was hurting. I've seen that time and again over my time here. And when you're in a community, when tragedy strikes or difficult times happen, it is so much better than when you're not in a community, when those difficult things happen. Because, you know, Jesus says the storms are going to come. But when we have that strong community, when we build our house on the rock, we're more prepared. It makes it easier to get through. Sean ended up being an intern here and showing the love of God to so many people because he had seen it. And he continues to do that today. Life is hard. We will mess up. You will mess up. I will mess up. We will go through times of grief. That's what, that's what life does. But we need to remember in those times to gather in our community and to let our community be the hands and feet of Jesus and to remind us that God is powerful and that he loves us. And that happens when we are invested in a community, okay? It, it takes, I've seen other people who have just been kind of marginally here, and we didn't know things were going on. 
And, and it's hard because if you, if you just invest in the community, God will use the community. Church is often the, time, the place we kind of avoid when things go wrong in our life, right? We think we're going to be judged. But honestly, church is exactly where we should be around the, the family of believers because what we are, if we're a follower of Christ, is someone who has recognized we're a sinner in need of a Savior and we've accepted Jesus. It is the perfect place for broken people. That's what a Christ-like community is. And then once we get restored, we go. That's what Sean did. He jumped back in once he got feeling better and he started serving God as an intern and doing a lot of great things, doing amazing things because God does that. He restores and he heals. So we gather, go, repeat. All right, now in the third story, the last one we're going to talk about, it's at Pentecost. And what's happened is Jesus has just ascended into heaven. He's like, go to Jerusalem and wait because I got something really special coming for you. It is huge and, and you need to do this. All right, you need to just go there and wait. And so they're feeling better, you know, and they, they decide, all right, all right, I'm going to go. And so they go. And I find it really interesting that he never says go to a room, but where do we find them? In a room, right? Because that's, that's what they do. They gather. They gather in a room. So they follow that pattern that they've had from Jesus. And, and then they have to wait. And I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at waiting. I want to know exactly what's coming, when it's coming, what I'm supposed to do next. I want those in clear directions from God. Waiting is hard. Not knowing what's next is really hard. But I tell you, it's a lot easier when I'm surrounded by people who love me. People who can remind me, look, God's got you. This timing may not be yours, but it's God's, and his timing's perfect. It helps a lot. I think the disciples were the same. They didn't know what was coming, but they knew they had to wait. And even in that gathering, I can talk to you about it later because I don't really have time to get into it, but I think that they were like stalling, and Peter's just coming up with stuff to do that he wasn't even supposed to because they're like, Peter, what do we do? He's like, oh, we decide we get a new disciple. You know, um, nowhere is that said that he's supposed to do that. But anyway, so they go there, and the Holy Spirit is gifted to them. And because they're together, they all are there together. And they get to see their friends get the Holy Spirit. And they're getting the Holy Spirit. And it's powerful. And it's exciting. And it has got to be amazing because it is like the fulfillment of what Jesus had said was going to happen, that his spirit would be in them. And then what's the next thing they do? Do you know? They go. They go out. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible says, um, we're going to read another page from there. It says, this is right after they get the Holy Spirit. It says, they threw open the shutters. Sunlight flooded their room as love had flooded their hearts. And the little room was filled with happy noises, dancing feet, singing and laughing. They unlocked the door and surged out into the streets as if they had never been afraid. Peter spoke in a loud voice so everyone could hear, Jesus died for you. He said, because he loves you. But God made him alive again. He has rescued you. People stopped and listened. The words sank down deep into their hearts and worked like a medicine that makes you well, like the antidote to a deadly poison, like a kiss that wakes you from a deep sleep. Stop running away from God, Peter said. Run to him instead so he can love you and make you free. And Peter told them the wonderful story of God's love. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. How Jesus had come and all that had happened. They went out, they gathered, go. And when they went, the book of Acts tells us that 5,000 people became followers of Jesus at that time. That's how powerful it was. And then they continued to meet together. They continued this pattern of gather and go, repeat. This is what Acts tells us the first Christians, the first disciples, this is how they lived. 
It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, that's eating, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Gather, go, repeat. It is powerful. Sometimes we don't know what to do next. Sometimes we don't know why God is waiting to tell us. We gather. We gather with our community, with fellow believers who can remind us that God has got a plan. God sees you. He hasn't left you hanging on purpose. His timing is perfect. It may not be always our timing, but his timing is perfect. Y'all, we are meant to be in community. It's how we're made. It's how God wants us to live. I truly believe that. I know that kind of goes against a lot of societal norms. We have that independent streak in us, particularly us Americans. But God wants us to live in community with each other. It's how we grow as a Christ follower. And that's important now while you're in college and after college. If you want to thrive in the inevitable good and bad times, in the times when you're waiting and don't know What's, what's next? You need to be involved in a Christ-centered community. Be a part of it. Jump in. Get involved. Don't just go on Sunday morning or Thursday. Stay. Stick around. Get to know people. And I know that's hard. And I know you're busy. I know you guys are so busy. I get that. And there, but let me just tell you, there are always excuses why you shouldn't do stuff. There really are. I mean, you think that, oh, when I get out of school, I'll have a lot of time. Does that happen, Brian? <laughs> no, say no. Okay, good. Um, it doesn't. You, you still have time. So there'll always be excuses. You know, it takes time and I don't have it. Well, I know that, but make it. Take the time that you can. It doesn't have to be all your time. And invest in a community. This, well, this group has flaws and the people are weird. Well, you know what? There's no perfect groups. And all people are weird. I hate to tell you, okay? You just got to accept it. I don't know how to get involved. I don't know anybody. Well, go to things. Talk to people. It's, it's not complicated. It's, it's sometimes hard and a little scary. Take somebody with you. Just go ahead and jump in. That's how you become a part of things. You know, finding a group to do life together with will make the biggest difference in your life. It really will. But I will say this. You're going to be a part of a lot of communities during your life. I would encourage you to make sure that one is a Christ-centered community. Maybe the main one is a Christ-centered community because these are the people you want to know love you regardless of what you do or who you are, just like God does. They're the ones who are going to encourage you and stick by you. Nobody's perfect. We're not perfect. Nobody is. But we need to be in a Christian community. And you should know that is our goal for CCF is to be a community. And we have to make that happen. You know, one of the reasons, a lot of times people are like, why do you do so many things? You have so many socials and all these different things. Well, the reason is we want you to have community. We want you to have opportunities to get to know people. And this is not set up for that. 
That's why we do an after event, to give you a little chance to hang out and talk to people. That's why we do a meal beforehand, to give you a chance to hang out and talk to you, talk to people. We love it when people are here. When we say the house is always open, we get excited when people stay here late playing games. Not me, because I go to bed. I get excited that other people are here late <laughs> playing games. So that's important. We want to help you find friends, find community. And we're doing everything we can because we believe that's what God planned for you now and afterwards. I love that the people from Galilee are here. There are great churches that you can get involved in, and I encourage you to do that. Don't stop because community is important for your life. You've got to find a place that you can gather and go and then repeat. If this is the place that you think God might be calling you to be a part of, I, I know it's late in the semester, but I want to encourage you to jump in. Y'all, the semester's almost over, but we have so much stuff going on. We, we really do. Just start coming to things. You know, we've got, we've got Bible studies. We've got this weekend. We've got a fun day on Saturday at our staycation. You can come for some or all. And then we've got a study hall on Sunday. So no matter what you're doing, there's no excuse. If you're busy this weekend, there's stuff going on next week. Come to the house. Hang out. Consider leadership. All right, that's a great way to get involved. You don't have to have any special Bible knowledge. I, we had a, a, a girl here when I first started, and she was like, I'm no Bible whiz kid. And we're like, well, yeah, that's okay. That's not a requirement. You know, um, the requirement is you want to be a part of the community, and you want to grow. All right, so if, if that's you, consider doing that. Serve here on Thursdays. There's a lot of different jobs we do, like greeting people and name tags or mowing the, the lawn or you know, helping with dishes and stuff like that. Getting involved in any kind of way like that or service projects is a great way to get to know people. It's a great way to, to start to open up, join a crash group, get, get, become vulnerable. I know that's hard, but when you get to know some people who are trustworthy, it's worth it. That's how you grow close. And if we become your community, if we are your community, as you go, invite others. Tell them about this. Bring them here because everybody needs community. And for some people, this is the one that they need. We love having you here. And if this is the place for you, that's awesome. If CCF is not the place for you, if this is not the right fit, that's okay. We're not for everybody. But there's some place that is. So don't give up until you find that place. All right? And we will help you because our goal is just to help you grow closer to God and in community that is, that is it. We don't get bonuses for extra people being here or people not being here. Um, hopefully we get a bonus in heaven for all of you who are baptized. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, you know, anyway, Christianity is not meant to be lived alone. Our, our slogan is love God, love others. We got that from Jesus who said to love God and love others. That that's the most important thing to do. You, you can't love others if you're not around other people. Right? You can't love others if you're not in community. You can't do that by yourself. We need to be a part of a group. So thank you for coming here today because this is a great first step. And if this is the only step you can do right now, that's fantastic. But I want to encourage you, stay a little bit after this. Matthew's got some kind of crazy trivia plan for us, you know, and, and sit with people you don't know and talk to people. And at dinner next time, talk to people you don't know and consider taking another step and getting involved. If you're not sure what that is, Talk to me or anybody on staff or our MAs or GAs. Whether it's here or some, somewhere else, find a community where you can gather and go and repeat. And that's about it, except for it's me. And um, <laughs> if you've ever been to one of my talks, you know something's got to be weird. <laughs> something's got to be memorable that'll stick in your head. And so... Um, 
If you were at the winter retreat, I was a speaker there, and you might remember that I showed a friend's clip every time I spoke. Um, I love friends. So I loved the question, Brandon. That was a good question to ask. What's your favorite character? One of my favorite characters is indeed Phoebe. If you don't know the show, Phoebe um, writes these these awful, super catchy songs that I love, um, and they're wonderful. And, and she wrote one when I was telling the staff, Monday we talk about what we're going to do in our meetings, and I, I told them that basically the thing was going to be gather, go, repeat. And Donnie is a huge Friends fan, and he was like, oh, that sounds just like Phoebe's song, Lather, Rinse, Repeat. And I was like, indeed it does. And so, without further ado, there goes my water bottle, we're going to watch this. We're not going to watch the whole song because it's actually called the shower song. But this is Phoebe singing, and, and just listen to it, and then we'll talk for one more second. All right. Now, you're going to have to help me with this, all right? The words are up there. They're not going to be hard. We're going to say, gather, go, repeat, gather, go, repeat, gather, go, repeat, it's worth it. One more time, everybody. Gather, go, repeat, gather, go, repeat, gather, go, repeat, it's worth it. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good things you tell us and how you teach us, how you show us in your word better ways to live, better ways to get through this life, because this life is hard sometimes, and we need people, and we need, we need help. We need a pattern, and I thank you for that. I thank you for each person here, God. You knew that they were going to be here, and you know them, and you love them. And God, if this is a place that they can find community, I pray that they would be bold and they would take chances and they would not just come here, but they would talk to people and that we could embrace them and be embraced, that we could find and form community here, a community that's centered on you because you have the words of life and healing. You give us hope and a future. And God, I thank you so much for that. I thank you that you've helped my voice last and me feel good enough to do this. Um, I just pray that as we finish out this semester, we would really be committed to community, to building that community. I know we're busy, but help us to remember um, that we want to be like you. We want to live how you showed us to live and that you've given us each other to help each other through this time. So thank you for all that you do. I pray that as we worship, we can really focus on you this last part of this time together, and then afterwards we can have a great time just chatting and getting to know each other better. It's in Jesus' name I pray.